back. So tonight we are back on Elisha, and we're going to be in a couple of a uh, couple of events in the account of Elisha's life. The first one is Elisha and the stew. The second one we're going to get into is Elisha and Naaman. And I'm telling you right now, we're going to cover a couple things in Naaman that weren't there in the in the, in the stories you heard as a child. The ones you think you know. How many times have I now? Have we gone through this and just form our minds with, this wasn't what we were taught. Mm -hmm. And it's the very word of God, but it's not the accounts that we were taught. Okay. So 2 Kings 4, 38. 2 Kings 4, 38. And Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servants, set on the great pot and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. One went out into the field to gather herbs, found a wild vine, and gathered thereof wild gourds, his lap full. And he came and shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat, and it came to pass, as they were eating of the pottage, that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pots. And they could not eat thereof. doesn't say there was... Uh, that they died doesn't say they were over, they couldn't eat it once they realized what was in it. They couldn't eat it anymore. They're hungry. There's no food. There's a famine in the land. There's a famine in the land, a dearth. Literally, a dearth. After a drought that had just ended, a drought that lasted three and a half years, there's no food in the land. I mean, that's what happens in a drought, right? It kills everything, dries everything up. No water, no life. That's the way it works. Elisha tells them to see the pottage. Make a bowl of stew. Make a pot of stew. Make a porridge or an oatmeal or something like that. And they go out. They go to scrounge the food they need to make. However, the one that they sent out is not aware of the local, local fauna and plants. So they grab an herb or a berry that is unsafe to eat. Now, somebody said it was a, a um, sea cucumber which when you cut open a sea cucumber, it almost, almost immediately dries up and becomes a powder on the inside that they use as a cathartic medicine and in great quantities could induce a coma. So if they notice it, they, I, I don't know what it is that doesn't tell you. I'm just telling you what some of the commentators have said because that, that uh, sea cucumber does grow in the Dead Sea region there where they're at right now. However, they put this this herb into the pot after shredding it. And the shredding it is probably what saved their lives here because shredding it, they made it small. They could taste it without ingesting huge quantities of it. And that's probably what saved their lives for it made them aware of the bad food without causing them to eat enough that it would be fatal. So Elisha says, bring me some meal. And so they bring him some flour. And please remember, this is not the flour at work. This is not Elisha at work. The flower and Elisha are merely the instruments of correction. God is the one doing the correcting. So Elisha casts the, fl the, the flower into the pottage. They stir it up. It's all cleared up. It's God that heals it. For they are the sons of the prophets and Elisha. God that heals it, not Elisha or the flower. There's no healing power in flower, just like there's not today. All it does is make you a little... Uh, Heftier. All right, 2 Kings 4.42. 
And there came a man from Baal Shalisha, and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, Give unto the people that they may eat. There's a, there's a famine in the land. He's providing for the people in what was provided for him. His servitor said, What? Should I set this before a hundred men? He said again, Give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, They shall eat and shall leave thereof. So he set it before him. They did eat and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. There is a man that brings first fruits, a tithe of sorts, to the sons of the prophets. Twenty loaves of barley, full ears of corn, and the husks for them to eat. God has a way of providing for his people in a famine. Elisha tells his servitor, I believe it's Gehazi, but I don't know that for a fact. Elisha tells his servitor to lay it out for the people. Lay it out for the people. Let the people eat. The servitor says, just as the disciples with Jesus. If you remember, Jesus said the fed the thousands. The disciples said, what with this? This isn't enough. The servitor said, what, in front of a hundred people? Twenty loaves of barley? They weren't big loaves of barley. They were little individual sized loaves of barley. Ears of corn. How is this little bit of food going to feed the people? That's what the servitor says. Elijah, however, has a source. And that source is God. And God says, put it in front of the people. Not only will they eat. Not only will they eat and be full. Not only will they eat and be full, but there will be some left over. So the people get the food. The people fill themselves up. And guess what? There's food left over. In the famine. God provides. So now we get to Naaman. So we got Elisha fixing the stew. God fixing the stew through Elisha. The servitor bringing food to feed the people in the famine. God provides there. Now we get to Naaman. All of you know the account of Naaman and the seven nutty ducks, right? Really? Okay. We're going to go well, We'll just go through it the first time for everybody. That way I don't have to repeat myself. 2 Kings 5.1. That's where we're going. Now Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, who was at this time a thorn in the flesh of the king of Israel, was a great man. Naaman was a great man with his master, the king of Syria. And honorable, that's very important, the Bible, the Bible, the Israelites writing this, call Naaman an honorable man. That is an enemy of theirs, and they are calling him honorable. That's a testimony. Because by him, the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. Leprosy is fatal. Leprosy kills. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said unto her mistress, Would God, my Lord, were with the prophet that is in Samaria, for he would recover him of his leprosy. Now, several things that stand out to me here, just the first couple verses, several things that many of us wish people would say about us. Naaman was a great man with his master, a great man with the one that he served. Good testimony, honorable 
productive of good character. That's what you should read into that. A great man with his master means a great person, not just a great soldier, but a great all-around person of character. They carry away a maid out of Israel. She is captive, and she is now in Naaman's house. Yet this maid is treated so well in this man's house that she longed for the healing of Naaman. Now, when you think of, uh, of servants and you think of slavery, most of them, when the master gets hurt, they're over there praying for the guy to die. This one finds out her master has leprosy, and she says, oh, if only he would go here, he could be healed. Naaman's a good man. Naaman's a good employer. This maid is treated so well that she longs for the healing of Naaman. That is a man of character. Now, she is a maid to the wife. The wife, therefore, also must be of good character because she's looking out for her husband, that's how the maid hears of this, through the wife, he, she hears of this, and the maid says, oh, if only he would go to the living, or to the prophet. Talk about good character there. Naaman is a man of good character, an overall good steward of the things brought into his purview. Now, like most of you, I was under the impression that the young lady was asked in the search for a cure. She was not asked. She heard of a need, and she volunteered the answer to that need to someone who holds her very life in their hands. Someone who is keeping her away from her family. Someone who has her captive. And she says, go here, he can heal you. So many things are good with the people in this passage so far. They're all doing the right thing. Thing. We need so many people doing the right thing nowadays. 2 Kings 5, 4. And one went in and told his lord, Naaman went in and told his lord, the king of Syria, thus and thus said the maid that is of the land of Israel. And the king of Israel said, or the king of Syria said, go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. And he departed and took with him ten talents of silver 6,000 pieces of gold, and 10 changes of raiment. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, Now when this letter is come unto thee, behold, I have therewith sent Naaman, my servant, to thee, that thou mayest recover him of his leprosy. So the king of Syria, Naaman, goes into the king of Syria. The king of Syria is now going to sponsor Naaman, so that his best general can get a healing. Naaman is a great man in this guy's eyes. And even though he is at war right now with Syria, they're, they're, they're skirmishing, they're, they're battling back and forth, and they have been for years. He says, I will stand. I will write a letter, and we will send uh, rewards and, 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 and raiment and gold and silver, and we will get you an audience. If this is possible, let's get it done. Naaman is a great man of character for the king to put his name, his weight behind this with an enemy of his that he is currently skirmishing with. Think about that. Naaman must have a tremendous testimony. This is how much the king of Syria respects and loves Naaman. And that, that is the worth of a good man. 
2 Kings 5, 7. And it came to pass, when the king of Israel had read the letter, that he rent his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy? Wherefore, consider, I pray you, and see how he seeketh a quarrel against me. The king of Israel gets this letter, and immediately, immediately he sees it as a trap. A way for him to go to battle and lose his kingdom. Do you want to guess who the king of Israel is? The son of Ahab. Ahab, that wicked and devious man. So, of course, a relative son of Ahab, the first thought is it's a trap. Because remember, Jezebel is still alive. She is the queen regent. She's still right behind the throne. Jezebel, she is not a good person. So the letter comes, and the king says, Am I a god? The king doesn't know the Lord God of Israel. Him and his family serve Baal. They are serving idols in the land of Israel. This man does send unto me to recover a man of his leprosy. He doesn't know how he's going to do this. He rents his crows. He goes, I'm I'm dead. They're going to kill me. What am I going to do? Oh, my goodness. He starts having a meltdown. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, had heard that the king of Israel rent his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Wherefore hast thou rent thy clothes? I, I want to say a little bit, oh, cry, baby, stop. I think that's what Elisha said. <laughs> Just a little bit. Let him come, Naaman, let him come now to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet. In Israel, the king of Israel had no idea what to do. He didn't know God. He knew of God, but he didn't know God. He knew of Elisha, but he didn't know Elisha. Naaman, or Elisha goes and says, hey, sends a messenger and says, send him to me. I got this. Our God will not be embarrassed in this nation because of you. Send him to me. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and stood at the door of the house of Elisha. Naaman comes to the house of Elisha. He's in his chariot, got his horses, got his escort with him. He's a general after all. He's got an escort, I'll guarantee it. Elisha, ever in tune with God. Elisha was always in tune with God. He hears of this, hears of the king's meltdown, hears of him rending his clothes. He says, send them to me, for they will know there is a prophet in Israel who serves the true God. The king of Israel has no faith in the Lord. For the Lord, the Lord God, Jehovah, is the king of Israel's enemy. Think about that. Israel, God's very own children, is at war with God. The king of Syria has no faith in the God of Israel. He has his own little gigans. Only the maid taking captain, taking captive has faith. Naaman hears of this, and he has faith. Naaman goes to see the man of God. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go, wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Elisha was never the people person. He tended to send people with messages and tell them what to do. He very seldom went out himself. In fact, if you remember with the Shunammite woman, so he sent his messenger to deal with it. She said, no, 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 I am not leaving you. You, the man of God, you are going. Naaman. 
Naaman went to Elisha, and Elisha sent out a messenger and said, Go wash in the river seven times. Naaman, a general. Naaman, a man of importance. 2 Kings 5.11 Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought, first mistake right there, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Naaman had his own ideas of what was going to happen, didn't he? Naaman was wroth. Why? He was a man of means. He was a man who commanded men, hundreds, if not thousands of men. And Elisha wouldn't even come out to talk to him. He had nearly king to ca uh, caused the king of Israel to have a meltdown just by his very arrival at the palace. The king of Israel is sweating in his hiding in his bedroom because Naaman is there and Elisha sends a messenger out. He expected the man of God to come out, show a little more respect, put on a show, and heal him right then and there. That's what he expected. Yet he himself was so prideful. He showed up in all of his importance to have a meeting with the man of God, but he was dictating the means. He was dictating the terms. He had it all worked out in his head without talking to the guy he was asking to do it. He had this whole conversation built up in his head. How many times do we do that? We have this whole conversation in our head with people who ain't even there. And then when we get there and they do what we told them to do in our head, they don't do it. We get mad at them. I'm married. Trust me. She does that to me all the time. Oh, I'm going to get yelled at later. Uh -huh. <laughs> Naaman is enraged at the lack, perceived lack of respect, of respect. It strikes him as rude. He knows that the Jordan River is not great. Nor is it a clean river. He feels this whole thing is beneath him. This whole encounter sets his teeth on edge and sets off his ire. Naaman, a great man, a man of good character, a good steward. He lost his head for a minute. He says, 2 Kings 5.12, Are not Abana and Farpar rivers of Damascus? Better than all the rivers of are all the waters of Israel. May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldest not thou have done it? How much rather than when he saith to thee, Wash and be clean? Uh, the servants, they love their master. That tells you what character he has. That tells you why this rage is so unlike him. Because the servants love him. The captives, the slaves, they love him. They work for him gladly. They know their master to be a good and kindly man. A man of logic and level-headedness. They knew he had fallen into a trap, for he had gotten his hopes up. He had already, in his mind, been cured. And when the prophet of God, in his opinion, showed disdain and no personality, it devastated him. For he had faith in the man of God. He had faith in the maid. It was his last hope. He had pinned everything he had upon it. And it devastated him when the prophet sent a messenger and told him to go wash in the Jordan. Now, the servants. The servants here are being the level-headed one. The servants said, 
If Elisha had asked for, strength, for feats of strength or vast amounts of gold and silver, would not the mighty Naaman have done that? Well, we know he would. Yet, something so simple as going and dipping in the Jordan is drawing his ire. Why? This is not like you, Naaman. What are you doing? The servants tell him, what have you got to lose, boss? What have you got to lose? Go dip in the river. If it don't work, you get wet. If it does work, you're cured. What have you got to lose? Then he went down, dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He didn't stop at four. He didn't, oh, this is pointless. He didn't stop at five. Oh, what a waste of my time. This is stupid. This is silly. This is ridiculous. He did all seven times, and he came out cured. The seventh time when he came out cured, Naaman realized, just as we have to, it was never the water. It was always the faith, the belief that made the healing possible. Naaman talked down from the spit of rage, the spit of irritation. He goes to the Jordan River and he dumps or dips seven times. And on the seventh, when he finally takes by faith, realizes it's not doing what he thinks needs to be done. It's accepting the word from the Lord and doing what God says. He does what was asked. He comes up out of the water clean, cured of the leprosy. Now, what, there is a parallel here. I'm going to try and make the parallel. Naaman was expecting a mighty show. Naaman would have gone out and done mighty feats. But Naaman trouble doing something so simple like going to a river just over there just over there going to a river and dipping seven times why because it was too easy surely it was going to take more than that do you know where i'm going with this so many people can't believe that salvation is simply calling on the name of the lord jesus surely it takes more than that to be saved surely it takes more so few understand that they must call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Something so simple can give eternal life. Yet they don't do it. Why? Because it takes it out of their hands. And it puts it squarely on their faith. They have to believe. That's it. But it's so very hard. If you can believe enough to call on the name of the Lord Jesus then you can believe enough to know that he is the Son of God, he is Savior, he is Lord, and he is Master. It's not enough just to be Jesus. He has to be Lord and Master. Too many cannot see because what they are being asked to do, the very simplicity of it befuddles them, enrages them, for now it is out of their control. It is in a manner contrary to what they think best. And how can we not do what they think best? Surely they're smarter than God, right? It's probably the hardest thing they will ever have to understand how easy it is. It's not easy. 
symbol. There's a difference. Naaman had the faith to go and dip in the Jordan River. Naaman had the faith to do it seven times. Had he stopped on the fifth time? Had he stopped on the sixth time? He would not have been healed. He had to have the faith to do it seven times. The maid had the faith to send him to the prophet. Correlation. Do we have the faith to point them to the cross? The shed blood of Christ. To tell them they need to be washed in the blood. 